0: Good evening and welcome to our Bible study. We are continuing in our series from Second Peter, which we have entitled Growing in Grace and Truth. Sorry. It's time to do that. We have uh, multiple computers in the studio here that are talking back to us. Sorry for that. Okay. Um, we're entitling this series, Growing in Grace and Truth. And in chapter 1 of Second Peter, we saw that Peter spoke about having a foundation in our lives. And I can't emphasize that enough. We are encountering some really strange things in the world today. And God has promised that in these last days, everything's going to shake and things around us are shaking, and you have to have a solid rock under your feet. And he talks about that in chapter 1, and basically, it's knowing the Scripture, it's knowing God, and it's knowing God's grace. And then growing in those experiences. Growing in grace, growing in truth, growing in our knowledge of the Lord. And I don't care how young or old you are in Christ maybe you're a brand new believer maybe you've been a Christian for 60 years there's always room for growth and we should all be daily seeking God and crying out to God Lord I want to know you better I want to get closer to you I want to know your word better I don't know how many times I've read through the Bible and I'm not saying that to boast quite the contrary I can read a scripture a thousand times and then suddenly read it one more time and realize I never really understood what it was saying before so there's so much more God has to reveal to us and to show us but all of that in chapter 1 was Peter's preparing us for what he had to talk about in chapters 2 and 3 we're still in chapter 2 and the entire chapter deals with the subject of false prophets, false teachers. And this is not a real popular subject for a multi-part Bible study series. i got to be honest with you, most pastors would skip right over this and say, well, he has something to say about false teachers, let's move on to the good part. But you know, I think the fact that the majority of the verses in 2nd Peter are found in this second chapter, it tells me something about the importance of these final words of Peter. Remember, these were his last words to the church. He was writing just before his death. And the fact that he devoted so much time to this subject tells me it's extremely important. And we want to continue right along where we left off last time. Uh if you are following along on the written outline notes, which are by the way available at our church website new dash life dash dot org and you'll find there both the outlines and the audio recordings of any previous messages that you may have missed. And again. The title is Second Peter Growing in Grace and Truth. We're now in chapter 2 and we're we're following along on page 30 in the notes. And I want to read the next portion. We ended last time at verse 12 of Second Peter chapter 2. And let me read that 12th verse again to sort of lead into The section we want to look at tonight, which is verses 13 to 16. And we're going to summarize a lot of these things when we get to the end of chapter 2, but I've been pointing this out repeatedly. When Peter, Paul, John, especially those three apostles, when they address this subject of false leaders, of deceivers, of false prophets in the church, and all three of them do address it at length in their writings, they seem to be very harsh, very hard, almost unchristian and unmerciful in their attitude toward these people. And there's a reason for that. These are not just your garden-variety sinners. These are people who are intent on dragging other people into their sin, into their perdition, and yes, into their damnation. And we saw that at the beginning of chapter 2, Peter says, these false leaders want to secretly introduce damnable, destructive heresies into the church. And that's a very strong word. So their teachings are designed to take people to hell. I'm going to put it in my own words tonight, but that's really what Peter is saying. Their heresies are so serious that they lead not only to a slightly different interpretation on a Bible verse, but they lead to a distorted, corrupted, and perverted lifestyle which will eventually take that person to hell. And so, we find repeatedly statements like these concerning these false teachers, promises of severe judgment, condemnation, and destruction. And at the end of chapter 2, I'm going to make a list for you of all of these statements, and I think you'll be rather amazed at the harshness of God's judgment promised for these individuals. But in Verse 12 of Second Peter chapter 2, we'll start from there, it says, But these men blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They are like brute beasts, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed. Listen to those words. Born only to be caught and destroyed, and like beasts, they too will perish now from verse 13 this is where we want to pick up tonight they will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done they will be paid back harm for the harm they have done and let's just pause here for a minute we're going to come back to this but these people cause harm in the church they're not just people with a little bit of a different idea on the rapture or the great tribulation or Armageddon or the thousand-year millennium. They harm the work of God. They bring spiritual harm to people, and because of that, they will be paid back with harm for the harm they have caused. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed, an accursed brood. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, a beast without speech, who spoke with a man's voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Now, let me preface anything we say tonight with a couple of personal remarks. I make no apologies for the fact that I am very passionate about these things that we're speaking about and it's not just from a theoretical or a theological point of view it's from 40 years of experience in the ministry and I'm sad to say that in 40 years I have dealt up close and personal with some of these kinds of deceivers seducers false teachers and the like and I have personally seen the harm they cause for innocent unstable souls and I feel the same kind of passion that Peter expresses here they will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done and you know when it comes to deliberately misleading, deceiving people, knowing what you're leading them into is their own destruction and their own perdition. It's a a whole different ball of wax. And the kinds of people that we're reading about here, hopefully for you, this is theoretical. I, I hope and pray you've never had direct dealings with people like this, but I'm going to preface whatever we say tonight with that fact. I have. I know these people are really out there, and I have firsthand experienced their behavior and the fruit of their behavior. And let me also add, those very people were extremely charismatic, extremely gifted, people. They could preach far better than I have ever preached in my life. They could sing far better than I've ever been able to sing. They had marvelous gifts, prophecy, words of knowledge, healing, and marvelous moves of the Holy Spirit came into the church through their ministry, and yet they did all of these things that Peter describes and they left a trail of destruction behind them. And I am still personally in contact with a number of those victims trying to help them get back on their feet, and it's not easy. So these people bring great harm and great destruction to the work of God, and that's why Peter and the other apostles speak so strongly about their judgment their condemnation and yes their ultimate destruction now let's take this from verse 13 piece by piece he says they will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done now I think we all understand there's a basic principle in the scriptures you reap what you sow and Yes, God is a good God, God is a loving God, God is a merciful God, but when we go on in our sin and refuse to repent, there is eventually a day of reaping. We're going to reap a harvest of whatever it is we've been sowing with our life. And we've already dealt extensively in the earlier parts of this chapter where Peter looked at three examples of angels who sinned the wicked world in in Noah's day and Sodom and Gomorrah to prove his point that God doesn't spare evildoers if they don't repent and if they don't avail themselves of God's grace and mercy and salvation they will ultimately be paid back that's the whole concept of God's judgment God is the judge of all the earth, and the scriptures are full of examples, Old and New Testament, that there are consequences for our actions. And certainly, when we're talking about false teachers, people who are using their charisma or even uh, gifts of the Holy Spirit to accomplish their own ends and even to hurt other people in doing so there's a very very dark day awaiting them they will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done we've talked already in earlier verses and Peter keeps reinforcing some of these points and he comes back to this one now that these Although they may have marvelous gifts of prophecy and seeing and discernment and words of knowledge and lines of people fall down when they lay hands on them they are basically carnal creatures and that's why Matthew 7:15 we need to keep coming back to by their fruits not by their gifts by their fruits you will recognize them and I'm I'm here to tell you personally, very often the fruits are very different from the gifts. We see the gifts and we're all like, wow, what an amazing, you know, display that was. And no doubt it was the Holy Spirit. Praise God for the Holy Spirit. Praise God for gifts of the Holy Spirit. But there's a difference between the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. What Jesus said is when we're testing and proving and discerning church leaders, go beyond the gifts and look at the fruit. Well, here we see that these are pleasure seekers. It says their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. Now let's pause there. We've already seen in a couple of other scriptures, there seems to always be this sexual component to their lust, to their carnality, and to their lifestyle. Um, If you just listen to these words, pleasure, carousing in broad daylight, reveling in pleasures, eyes full of adultery. Some of the other translations talk about how they are party animals. (laughs) I think that's a good term. They're hedonistic, pleasure-seeking party animals. And by the way, in verse 14, the word that in the NIV is translated pleasure is actually the Greek word hedone, from which we get the word hedonistic. Their whole motivation in life is to seek and to revel in pleasure. They're pleasure seekers. They know nothing of the cross. They know nothing of self-denial. They know nothing of laying down their lives for Christ. Their idea of a good time is to carouse, party, get as much pleasure as they can, and they do it without any shame. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. You know, a lot of people, they like to party at night. They like to kind of hide some of their shame. Not these folks. They do it in broad daylight. And it says something interesting here, which has brought some confusion amongst Bible scholars, it says they are blots and blemishes reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. So here again we see that these false teachers are right in the mix with the believers in the church. They sneak in, they worm their way in to the church fellowship, and this this reference here to feasting with them uh, might be a little easier to understand if we look at the companion verse in the book of Jude. Remember Jude and Second Peter are very similar, but it's good to read them both because it gives us a fuller picture of what is being said about these false teachers. Jude 12 says, These men are blemishes at your love feasts. Eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves. Wow. A shepherd is a pastor. I think we all understand those words are really interchangeable. So, this is one of a number of scriptures that highlights the fact these are not just sit in the back pew ordinary believers, they're leaders. These are pastors, these are prophets, these are teachers, these are people who worm their way into the church, and because of certain uh, ministry and leadership gifts and charisma that's on their life, they're very successful at moving in to church circles. Now, this reference to love feasts, many believe this is actually a reference to their communion, or Last Supper uh, gatherings, which were quite different from what they've now become in our churches, where we just pass a little plate, take a piece of bread, and sip from a plastic cup, and we're done with communion. Uh, The Bible talks a lot about the early church, how they broke bread together, they went from house to house, eating together, fellowshipping together, and it would seem that when they celebrated the Lord's Supper, It was a major event where they all met together in one of the believers' homes. They had a full meal. They remembered the Lord's death. They rejoiced. They celebrated. They had a great time of fellowship together. Well, these folks were right there with them, feasting with them. But it seems to indicate that after they made their inroads into the fellowship, they began to go beyond just eating the food. It says, they carouse in broad daylight, they are blots and blemishes, reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. And verse 14, I think, enlarges on what kind of pleasures they were reveling in. It would seem to me to indicate very clearly It was sexual sin that was a major part of this reveling because verse 14 says their eyes are full of adultery and they never stop sinning. And I have to tell you, most of the false leaders that I have been involved with over the past 40 years, when it was finally exposed, what they were up to inevitably, There was sexual perversion, immorality, and terrible things going on behind the scenes. And notice very carefully what verse 14 tells us. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They seduce the unstable. So, They're not content just to revel in their own sins. They want to seduce people, and they always manage to pick out a certain group of people that's present in every church. They're called here the unstable. They may be new souls, they may be younger people, teenagers or young people who aren't fully uh, adults yet. They may be Christians who have been in the church for a long time, but they're, they're still not stable. This is really the best translation of the word. They, they don't have a stable footing. They're not firm in their Christian life. And it never ceases to amaze me how these false teachers and false leaders are able to pick out those unstable ones. And very quickly they begin to identify certain easy targets. And quite frankly I call them predators. And if you study uh, predators, like I'm sure you've seen movies of lions and tigers and leopards and cheetahs and some of the big cats, how they hunt down their prey, inevitably they look for the weakest animal in the herd. It's the younger one or the weaker one who's at the back of the pack, and they manage to get them separated from the rest of the herd, and then they move in for the kill. Same thing happens in churches. These false leaders, they single out unstable, immature souls maybe new believers or maybe young people unsuspecting innocent children or young people and they seduce them it says that they have eyes full of adultery i mean that's quite a statement it it just shows that their their whole mindset is unclean their whole mindset is perverted and so the eye of course is how we see the world and one translation actually could be they have eyes full of an adulteress in other words every person that they see is prey for them it's it's someone for them to seduce it's someone for them to use their own purposes. They're predators. And I, I can't even speak to you tonight about some of the predators that we've had to deal with over the years in churches. And I'm talking about many, many innocent young people, especially, that fell prey to these predators. They seduce It's the same word that's used in James chapter 1 and other places where it talks about how people are drawn away, enticed, baited into sin. It means to trip, to bait, to allure, to trap, to delude, to beguile, to entice, or to seduce. These folks are masters at seduction. They're masters at deception, and they're masters at baiting, alluring, and then capturing people. In James 1, verse 14, you find the same word used. Let me read this to you from the Amplified Bible. It says, But every person is tempted when he is drawn away, enticed, and baited. That whole phrase is actually the amplified translation for this one word. Drawn away, enticed, and baited by his own evil desire, lust, or passions. The picture here is one of a fisherman with his line and a worm or some kind of bait on the hook, and of course, the fish can't see the hook, all the fish sees is the bait. And you dangle that worm or that piece of bait in the water and along comes the unsuspecting fish and whack! He's hooked and he's finished. So, these people are predators but they don't advertise, hey I'm out here to catch you and kill you. They use very clever means of seduction. Of allurement of baiting people and slowly drawing them in to their confidence and then they become their prey it says with eyes of adultery they never stop sinning they seduce the unstable they are experts in greed that's an interesting statement they are experts in greed The actual Greek word here means they are trained, exercised, and practiced in greed. You know, if you're going to get good at a skill, you have to train, you have to exercise, and you have to practice. You have to do it over and over and over again so that you become good at it. Whether you're learning how to play a musical instrument or... How to sing, how to weld, how to be a good carpenter. It takes training, it takes exercise over and over and over, and then it takes long hours of practice. You know, we were watching a program last night that goes into quite a bit of detail about the training that these Navy SEALs have to go through and how so many of them don't even pass the test. It's so grueling, the exercises and the practices that they have to endure. This guy said, on average, they would do a thousand push-ups a day. They would do a thousand sit-ups a day. They never walked anywhere. They deliberately had the dining hall two to three miles away from the barracks, and they had to run to go eat and run back after they ate. And on average, they would run 12 to 15 miles every day. This is in addition to all their other exercises and training and things that they had to endure. I mean, running up hills, carrying heavy packs, swimming underwater with their hands tied behind their back. I mean, it's, it's unreal what these men go through. They're trained. They're exercised day after day after day. They're practiced in what they do. Well, same word Peter uses here for these false teachers. They're they're practiced in what they do. They're experts. They've got it down to a T. They've done it over and over and over so they know how to deceive, how to beguile, and how to make merchandise Of other people because this is one of their main calling cards. They're greedy. And we're gonna summarize these things at the end, but we've talked about several of the major fruits that will help you to identify one of these characters. They're carnal, they're usually living an unclean, immoral, sexual kind of a life, and they're greedy. They use other people to their own financial advantage. And these false leaders, I I must emphasize this, these are not just your average, ordinary, greedy folk. They're experts. They're highly skilled, far more skilled than you and I in what they do. And like Balaam, um, we don't have time, if we did, I'd love to go back into the book of Numbers, but you can read it on your own. Read Numbers chapter 22 especially, because reference is made both in 2 Peter and in Jude to the prophet Balaam. And he's an example of one of these kinds of false prophets or false teachers. And There's some difference of opinion about Balaam, but my own opinion is he was a true prophet of God. God gave him a gift, but he misused it. And I think that's in line with what we're going to learn here in 2 Peter. These men and women were given genuine gifts, genuine ministry charisma, that's the word for gift, but they abused it they use it for selfish ends, they use their ministerial office in all kinds of money-making schemes. I'm gonna let that sink in because this is another thing I'm very passionate about. I cannot stand anyone who uses their spiritual gift or their ministry office to make a profit off of the church and off of unsuspecting people and these people have very elaborate uh, money-making schemes you see them on TV you see them in Christian magazines you hear them on Christian radio they're everywhere and they sound so spiritual but when you really examine what they're doing they're using you and me They're preying on our emotions and our generosity to help make money for them because they're greedy. Now, I'm not saying every preacher, every pastor is greedy, but one of the hallmarks of these false prophets like Balaam is they take a genuine ministry gift, a genuine ministry office, and use it to make money. Let me read to you the companion verse here in Jude. Jude verse 11. Jude says, Woe to them! They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error, and they have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. We talked about Korah's rebellion last week, and now we come to Balaam's error. Well, what was Balaam's error? Let me read to you again what we read earlier here in Second Peter 2, verse 15. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved the wages of of wickedness they love the wages of wickedness by the way I don't think it's any coincidence that the word that's translated wages in verse 15 is the same exact word that Peter used in verse 13 where he said these false teachers will be paid back they're gonna get their wages in the end for what they did. But we're talking about a different kind of wages here in verse 15. They want to make merchandise off of Christians and off of unsuspecting, undiscerning, unstable people in the church. That's where they operate. If you study this whole chapter, it becomes more and more clear each time you read through it. These people operate in the church. They're coming to the love feast, they're with the Christians, they're uh, secretly introducing damnable heresies into the church. So everything about them is to move into the fellowship, move in where the believers are, and then prey on them. Whether it's sexually or financially, they are Experts in greed. Wow. I could go on and on and on about that. I don't think I need to. And it's sad because there are a lot of genuine, sincere Christians and Christian ministries that, when they make an appeal for money, it's a genuine appeal. They want to help the poor or the hurting or some group of people. And they get a bad name because of these people. And that's what we saw at the beginning of Second Peter chapter 2. Because of the activities of these false teachers, the way of truth is spoken evil of. And because of a few rotten apples, good leaders and good pastors are all lumped together. And they say, all, all you pastors, all you're doing is, is begging for money. The only reason you're in the ministry is to make money off of people. And we know that's not true. I know a lot of genuine, good men and women of God who live selfless lives. They give more than they get. They pour out their lives. They they give way beyond back to the church whatever they might have received. Not so with this group. They're actually trained to do what they do. They've gotten lots and lots of practice in what they do. Covetous, greedy practices. And we saw earlier, they make up stories. They tell lies. They invent false testimonies. Um, They lie about supposed miracles that have happened in their ministry. Um, They exaggerate things to try to get those cards and letters stuffed with cash coming in. And we've seen in recent times some really bizarre uh, twists on this. I think I shared one with you, and this is not hearsay, because I knew the pastor who was in this particular church, where they invited a famous prophet to come and minister to the church. We're talking about a huge mega church. And boy, he gave words of knowledge and dazzled everyone with all of his amazing gifts. And then at the end of the meeting, he had the people form three lines. I'm not making this up. There was the $10,000 prophecy line, there was the $1,000 prophecy line, and there was the $100 prophecy line. So if you want a $10,000 prophecy, you line up in the first line, and he made it very clear to the people there that night, they accept. MasterCard and Visa. The second line was for $1,000 prophecies, and then for the little folks that can't afford a $10,000 prophecy, they can get in the third line. And for just $100 he'll give them a prophecy. This um, we may laugh at, but it really makes me cry, because the head pastor of that church was there cheering and clapping and praising the Lord. And it was shortly thereafter that this other man left that ministry because he couldn't, he couldn't in good conscience continue in a place where things like that were happening. But this happens. It's happening all across the nation and in many other parts of the world, too. And these folks give Christianity a bad name. They give good prophets and good pastors a bad name. And they're really stealing from God people and Peter calls them wages of wickedness like Balaam they have loved the wages of wickedness Uh, if you study that term in the original Greek it actually signifies that these are prophets for hire that would actually be a better translation They're prophets for hire. So for the right price, (laughs) you can get a good prophecy from them. That's what Balaam was. He was a prophet for hire. The enemies were hiring him to come and prophesy against Israel to bring about their destruction. And it would seem in uh, Numbers chapter 22 that Balaam refused to really do what he was being hired to do. But if you read a few chapters on, you start to fill in the blanks and you realize this guy brought tremendous harm and destruction to Israel. He was a an evil, evil prophet for hire. Now, there's another theme that we pick up here that I'm going to wait and talk about a lot more when we get to the next section, but it's woven throughout this second chapter of second Peter, and let me read it to you again in verse fifteen they referring to these false teachers, they have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Beor. Who loved the wages of wickedness they left the straight way you can't leave something if you haven't been on it or in it so as I've been stating all along these false teachers false prophets started out well they started out on the right way on the right road they had genuine gifts They had genuine charismata from the Holy Spirit, but they wandered off. They deviated. They took a wrong turn from that straight way. Why? Because they loved the wages of wickedness. You know, the Bible doesn't say money is the root of all evil. There's nothing evil at all about money. It's the love of it that's the root of all evil. And somehow the love of money got into these false teachers and false prophets and they realize, wow, I have a gift. I can draw a crowd. People trust me. People come around me. People are looking to me for guidance and for direction and for answers so I can now use them. I can now make merchandise of them. Very, very sad and very, very dangerous. And that's why Jesus told his disciples freely you have received, freely give. To this day, I am a very, very staunch believer in making the gospel free to anyone and everyone we don't charge any money for Bible studies for Bible courses we don't charge people money to attend our services or for that matter we don't charge money for anything Um, I don't believe that you're supposed to make money off of the gospel in 40 years I have tried always to present the gospel freely, and God has taken care of me. I've not had to charge people money. Now, I know some churches that do that. Uh, if you were to take uh, a course similar to what we're doing in all of these weeks, for instance, on Second Peter, they might have you sign up, pay a registration fee, pay a, a book and outline fee and this fee and that fee and da 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 I don't I don't want to do that I just I can't in good conscience do that because I don't want to get anywhere close to being one of these Balaam's who's using the ministry who's using the gospel to make a profit off of people let me read this again from Jude woe to them they have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. And I, I don't need to mention to you the many, many scandals that surface in the news and in the media about high profile, famous mega church pastors and leaders who are finally caught in all kinds of corruption and blackmail and extortion and. They have ten Mercedes Benzes or five Rolls Royces and gold-plated toilets and all this foolishness. You know, it's sad, but all this has happened. And we as a church need to repent for it, and we dare not make any defense of the behavior. It's wrong. It's wrong. It's evil. We need to apologize for people, for those who have misused the the ministry for those things. Nevertheless, there are good, honest men and women of integrity who don't do that. And we need to keep our eyes on them. Finally, before we close tonight, let me read this last verse in the section we're looking at, Second Peter 2, verse 16. Peter's still talking about Balaam. And again, I would recommend reading all of Numbers 22 if you need to refresh your memory on the whole story of Balaam. But it says here, he was rebuked for his wrongdoing. How? By a donkey. <laughs> he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey. A beast without speech who spoke with a man's voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Wow. By the way, I won't make any comment on this, but I rather like the King James for verse 16. It says he was rebuked by a dumb ass. Uh, an ass, a donkey that could not talk, God used to rebuke this prophet for his wrongdoing. Now, there's a, there's a huge message here. He was a prophet. When he opened his mouth, God's words came out of his mouth. God's messages came forth from Balaam's lips. You know what God was showing Balaam? Uh, I wouldn't get too proud about that, Balaam. I can talk through a donkey. I can prophesy through an animal that doesn't normally even speak. So I wouldn't get too worked up about your prophecy gift. And just a word to any of us who preach or teach or prophesy whoopee. It's no big deal. God can open any mouth he wants to and speak. And we should humble ourselves thank God if and when he does say something through us but just remember the story of Balaam God can talk through a dumb donkey and he decided to use a dumb donkey of all things to rebuke this prophet now he could have used an angel there was an angel right there on sight, but God didn't rebuke Balaam through the angel he was very deliberate about this, he chose to use a dumb donkey. NIV says, a beast without speech, (laughs) who spoke with a man's voice and restrained the prophet's madness. If you look that word up, it literally means insanity. And let me just throw my two cents in here as we close. I think a false teacher... A false prophet or any other kind of a false leader is insane it's a form of insanity where you're taking a gift and a call from God and using it actually abusing would be a better word using it in such a way that it's to benefit yourself and it ends up harming other people harming the church and bringing God and the gospel a bad name in the world. To me, that's insanity. Especially if you hear all of these warnings that Peter gives about the sure destruction and condemnation that awaits these people. They better enjoy their parties, and their revelings, and their... Rolls Royces and their gold-plated toilets now because it's all gonna come to a painful end and there is an end to their insanity and if Balaam is any kind of a pattern here which he seems to be used in that way by both Peter and by Jude uh, he didn't end well he didn't respond to the rebuke that God brought to him for his wrongdoing. He was rebuked for his wrong doing. People who are doing these things are doing wrong and they're doing harm. And we who are in responsible positions of leadership in the body of Christ, whether we're a parent, a Sunday school teacher, a pastor, a bishop, or an apostle. We need to be very much aware of these dynamics, and we need to be looking out especially for the weak, for the unstable souls, for new Christians, for people who aren't real strong or stable in the Lord yet. These are always the targets of deceivers And false teachers. They seduce unstable souls. And of course, our job is to get unstable souls stable, to teach them, train them, get them rooted and grounded in the Word of God, in the truth, in the grace of God, uh, firmly cemented to Christ, so that no other kind of a false spirit will be able to influence them or knock them off course. Let's pray tonight as we finish this section. Father in the name of Jesus we thank you for your word and Lord the things that we're sharing in these Bible studies these are strong things this is strong medicine O God nevertheless these are things that the church needs to hear and needs to know because Lord Jesus you promised us that in the last days there would be many false prophets, many false Christs. There would be great deceptions and a great falling away. And God, we pray that the folks that we minister to would not be a part of that falling away. If they're weak, if they're new, if they're unstable, that you would give us the grace and the wisdom to be able to firm up their spiritual lives, to help them to get rooted and grounded in faith, in Christ, in the Word of God, that no deceiver, no deception would be able to take them off of the straight path. God, we pray for church leaders throughout the world that they would have discernment and they would have boldness to stand up and to fight for what is right And Lord, as we will be seeing further on in this study, we want to be like those in the Ephesian church who tested leaders and found some of them to be false. Help us to have discernment. Help us to be able to recognize and to discern between true and false leaders. Lord, you said by their fruits we will recognize them. And God, I pray for each one of us that we might walk very carefully and very closely with you in these last days, that we would love the truth, we would love the Word of God, we would love and desire and long for a closer relationship with you. And God, that we would flee from sin, from darkness, from dishonesty, from carnality, and that your Holy Spirit would put to death every fruit every work of the flesh in our lives that we may truly bring forth the fruit of the Spirit in each one of our lives. God, I pray for each one on this phone, those that are listening through the Internet, those that may be listening in the future to recordings. God, help each one of us to be stable, firmly rooted and grounded in Your Word. God, that we would not be deceived, but we would love the truth walk in the truth, we would have truth even in the inner parts of our lives, that we would be men and women of integrity, we would walk uprightly, we would walk in honesty, and we would have a clear conscience both toward God and toward men. God, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for the precious blood of Jesus. And God, we together confess the many, many sins and wrongs that have been done in the name of Christ by false teachers, by false prophets, all of the bad reports that people have heard. Lord, help us to give a good name and a good report with our lifestyles and with our ministry and that we may bring glory and honor to the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, bless each one tonight. Keep us by the power of Your Word. Keep us full of the power of Your Holy Spirit. And keep us under the cleansing, delivering power of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Now and until He comes in glory. In Jesus' name we pray.